That is Dionne Warwick reminding us about the need for love. Good morning, everyone. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. Today, I want to talk about one of the most important relationships in your life, your relationship with yourself. Yes, how to love yourself. I have two guests with me this hour to talk about what self-love looks like and sounds like, what it isn't, and how to overcome beliefs like I'm not worth it. And as we talk, you can give us a call at a special number this morning and leave us a voicemail. We'll be checking your messages throughout the show. What questions do you have for our experts about self-love and what obstacles did you have to overcome to become more self-compassionate. You can tweet me at Angela Davis NPR or leave us a message at this phone number. It's 651-290-1281. And we may play your message on the air this hour. Let's bring in my two guests. We have with us Portia Peak Gordon here in the studio with me. Portia is a licensed marriage and family therapist and the co-owner of Peak Behavioral Health, which is a mental health clinic in Little Canada. Welcome back to the program, Portia. Thank you for having me. And joining us on the line, we have Kristen Neff. Kristen is an associate professor of educational psychology at the University of Texas at Austin. She's a pioneer in the field of self-compassion research and even created a scale to measure self-compassion. She's also the author of Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up claim their power, and thrive. Good morning to you, Kristen. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Happy Valentine's Day. Thank you. I just, you know, right now in this moment, just want to take some time to just acknowledge uh, that the world does not feel like a very loving place Mm -hmm. right now. A lot of us just really have very heavy hearts today Mm -hmm. and have for, you know, a while now. So, Portia, it's no surprise that people are having a hard time um, being kind to themselves or, or expressing self-love. Would you say that? Yeah, no, I would um, absolutely agree with that assessment. I think um, with all that's going on in the world right now, our hearts are heavy. Mm-hmm. We're experiencing a lot of collective grief, loss, and just lack of direction. And it's very difficult to then love ourselves. And um, I think it's something that even as a mental health provider, I experience myself too. And I I see Mm -hmm. that in the field as a whole. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and Kristen, even yourself personally, when you wake up each morning and you see some of the news headlines, uh, it's a tough time to be optimistic and loving. Uh, It is a tough time, but it's also the exact time to practice self-compassion, which is basically being with your suffering and difficulty and pain in a warm, supportive manner. So mm. thank God for my practice. I've been relying on it a lot. Mm. So Portia, um, let's define some terms here. When mm. I say self-love, uh, what does that mean to you? What What is the mm. definition of self-love? Sure. So for me, it's very simple. It's validating our human experience. It's looking inward and saying that I am good enough. I'm worthy. I am enough. And I think... Um, relying on our internal self to kind of come up with that definition and not relying on external um, factors to make that determination for us. External factors like other people? Other people, social media, different messages that we receive. Um, I think we get so many different messages that tell us what self-love is. And oftentimes it might be surface level or uh, materialistic, um, but I think it's really inward. 
Um, something that I noticed at my practice, peak behavioral health, um, working with primarily black people, black women, um, is that people are showing up in ways that are more authentic to themselves. So whether it be um, advocating for themselves, asserting their boundaries, mm-hmm. or even um, just acknowledging their worth, I think that can go a really long way when it comes to self-love and just feeling good about yourself. Mm. And Kristen, uh, when I use the term self-compassion, I think I called you a self-compassion expert, um, a yes. broad term. What does that, that mean, self-compassion? And are, are there what are the forms of that? Yes. Yeah, so, so it over, uh, overlaps a lot with what Portia said. Um, self-love maybe is a bit more broader. It, it could inc- incorporate any sort of positive or negative emotions. You know, the word compassion, passion in the Latin means to suffer. So it's specifically how we are with the tough stuff. So feelings of grief, sadness, inadequacy, shame, mistakes, failures, all the stuff that usually derails us. So it's, as you might say, it's a subset of self-love, but it's, it's really important that we don't get derailed by all these negative thoughts and emotions, that we have a way to hold ourselves lovingly <laughs> with love in those difficult moments so that we can still value ourselves even when we've made mistakes or failed in some way, for instance. And I know you write about and talk about two forms of self-compassion that, that are different. Can you tell us about those? Yes. So um, there's a there's a tender side of self-compassion, which is more the parental, you might say, nurturing energy. It's about unconditional self-acceptance. Um, but although we want to accept ourselves unconditionally, we don't want to accept all our behaviors if they're unhealthy in some way. And we certainly don't want to accept all the situations we find ourselves in. So it kind of resonates with what Portia said. Fierce self-compassion is about saying, um, you know, I need to change this. or I need to change the situation. I need to draw boundaries. I need to protect myself. I need to stand up for social justice. That's an equally important part of self-compassion. And it's like yin and yang. We need to balance them. We need to be both fierce and tender one without the other is imbalanced. Uh, Portia, you are um, still, you're seeing patients. Uh, Mm -hmm. You're a marriage and family therapist. People are coming to you and sharing and talking with you. And I'm just curious, uh, what do they talk about when it comes Mm -hmm. to, you know, self-love or maybe just in general? I mean, what what are on people's minds right now? Yeah, I think first and foremost, um, considering I serve a lot of black, brown people and people um, who are part of marginalized groups, them showing up to therapy in and of itself is self-love. So Why? just it's been a stigma huge for step. so long. It's a huge step, Why? absolutely. And just recognizing, hey, I am worthy of having the space to be vulnerable and trust someone else with my stuff is a huge step in the right direction of saying, like, I love myself. And going to a trained professional. Going to a trained professional, right? absolutely. Because I think um, stereotypically we might go to church or a friend or a loved one. Um, but now we're saying, hey, I, maybe they're not the best, you know, at all the things. Or to you help need me. more, right? I need more, yeah. Right. Um, so what they're talking about, I think, is um, oftentimes looking their childhood right in the eyes and saying, mm. I deserve I don't even like doing better. that. I know. Mm. Who, who likes it? <laughs> I deserve better. I deserved a more present, more nurturing, um, more forgiving adult. I deserved a childhood where I wasn't parentified and given an abundance of responsibilities that were outside of my development and saying, I deserve those things and those are valid. 
And I will no longer allow those things to define who I am today. Because stop right there. Because we can't go back and relive our childhood. We cannot. We cannot. We try to. I think we try to in different ways. Like it can play out in our relationships, depending on who we partner with or um, our communication styles and how we kind of act out or resolve conflict. Um, But no, we can't go back in, in time and recreate those memories. But we can start to heal from those things that we experience so much pain from. And Kristen, what do you say to that about, um, you know, the very beginning of self-love and self-compassion will often go back to, to childhood and what we experienced and what people said to us and did to us? Absolutely. Actually, there's a phenomena called backdraft that happens when we start to first practice self-love or self-compassion. So it's like, you know, the metaphor is if a house is on fire, you don't just open the doors and let in um, let in the fresh air, because if you do, the air will ignite the fire inside mm-hmm. and it'll blast mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. It can actually happen sometimes, which is why therapy is so important, or th- as trained therapist, when you practice self-love or self-compassion. You know, when we start to give ourselves unconditional love, sometimes we immediately re- remember all the conditions under which we weren't loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and think people think they're doing it wrong, that, you know, self-love hurts or the self-compassion stuff. I thought it was supposed to feel good. Actually, what happens is we may have closed the doors of our heart our whole life. We start to open the doors of our heart and the pain rushes out. It's actually a good sign. It means the healing process has begun. But it can be a bumpy ride, and that's why it really does help to have a professional guide you through it. So healing can hurt, Portia. Healing can hurt. It has to hurt. (laughs) Well, I love what you just said, Kristen, too, about, um, you know, people feeling like they're doing it wrong, because I think um, we don't know what it looks like or how it feels. And in therapy, there's a technique called the miracle question, where we pose, you know, a, a hypothetical, if you were to wake up the next morning and this problem was solved, or you felt better, how would you know? What would you notice? How would you feel? Because oftentimes we are doing it. We just don't have the awareness. There's not a metric for the progress that we've made, or what we're doing right now. So we don't even we don't have the awareness that, hey, I am making progress toward this, or I am working through something. I am healing, or I'm healed. So Mm -hmm. I can now maybe see the world different or modify my behavior Sure, because and I, I'm at a better place? Yeah, I don't necessarily think that any of us ever really arrive. I think it's just an ongoing just evolution of, of experiences. Mm. And Kristen, um, why is it important that we do love ourselves, that we are kind to ourselves, that we, you know, cut ourselves some slack sometime? Why is that so essential? Uh, well, it's, again, it's essential. In, in one way, it's a type of uh, emotion regulation technique to sound really, it's not very poetic, but it's true. So when we feel overwhelming shame or, or grief or, or pain, um, often the way we cope with that is not so healthy. We may, you know, spiral down into depression or anxiety or develop eating disorders or, mm-hmm. you know, in the worst case scenario, a suicidal ideation when the pain is just too big. Mm-hmm. So having the ability to be there for ourselves, to kind of that security of I will not abandon myself. I will love myself. Mm-hmm. I will care for myself. Mm-hmm. Even if I've been a human being and made a mistake and failed, I will learn from my mistakes. Um, this research, there's over 5,000 studies now on self-compassion and overwhelmingly. 5,000 studies. 5,000 studies. It's a big field. Started 20 years ago. And it shows it's strongly linked to uh, mental health, to coping, to resilience, to strength, better relationships. I mean, if you're if you're an empirical person, the data is there. Good morning, gorgeous. 
Sometimes you gotta look in the mirror and say Come on, hey, gorgeous No one else can make me feel this way Come on, hey, gorgeous Good morning, gorgeous Mary J. Blige spoke for a lot of people when she released this song last February. Like it or not, you're going to have to be with yourself until the very end. So you might as well learn to look in the mirror and think, good morning, gorgeous. This morning, I'm talking about self-love with two guests and with you. I want you to call in and talk to us about self-love. We have a self-love line this morning. Leave us a voicemail and we'll checking our messages throughout the show so we can share your thoughts. What what obstacles did you have to overcome to become more self-compassionate? You can leave us a message at 651-290-1281. You can also tweet me at Angela Davis NPR. My guests uh, today in the studio, we have Portia Pete Gordon, a licensed marriage and family therapist here in the Twin Cities, the co-owner of Peak Behavioral Health in Little Canada. And we also have Kristen Neff on the line, a pioneer in the field of self-compassion research. She's also an associate professor of Educational Psychology at the University of Texas at Austin. And uh, Kristen, as we get back to our conversation about self-love, you co-founded uh, the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. What is that and what does the center offer? Yes. So um, along with my colleague, Chris Germer, we developed a training program to teach people skills of self-compassion. I mean, this is the good news that it's a learnable skill. There are tools that you can practice to actually learn how to be kinder and more supportive toward yourself. So the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion offers a training. You can take an eight-week program, a 10-week program, a six-week program. You can learn how to teach self-compassion to others. Um, and so it's in every continent now, except Antarctica. There are uh, thousands <laughs> of teachers around the world. Um, it really is a movement. There is now a self-compassion movement, and it's just so beautiful to see. And Kristen, I think about all the things that we learn as children, but w- at what age do we start to learn how to talk to ourselves and in what tone? Well, it's interesting because um, young children are naturally pretty positive about themselves. Like young kids tend to have a pretty good self-concept. Mm-hmm. What happens in adolescence is pe- identity formation starts as people start being much more critical. They're more able to compare themselves to others. And sometimes those comparisons are unfavorable. Um, so you might say it decreases in adolescence, but the data shows the good news is is an older age, as we get a little older, maybe, you know, after we've had our kids, after we have a little more wisdom, and really important, going back to what Portia said, we, we agree so much, is all about a sense of connection with humanity. As we learn more about our humanness, that other people are flawed, that we're all doing the best we can with the wisdom of age, then we finally naturally start to be a little more uh, kind and warm and supportive toward ourselves. Don't you wish we could have that that that, that love, that self-esteem uh, yes. at 50? Uh, mm-hmm. If we had had that at 15, you know, Portia, I mean, I think about like, oh, my life would have been, I think, very oh, different. Yes. I think, too, like our, like what we define as self-esteem at 15 is much different than how we define it at 50 or, or mm-hmm. 30. Um, and I think that's oftentimes measured by like how we show up in our careers or in our interpersonal relationships. Um, but I, I did want to comment on uh, the assessment that Kristen, you were referring to, you know, I, it made me think of how, yes, there are a lot of assessments and tools out there and not all of us have the luxury of 
practicing self-compassion in the way that we're describing right now, um, thinking of myself as a black woman, thinking of other black and brown and people in marginal groups, marginalized groups, um, don't have that luxury necessarily. To- what do you mean? Why is it a luxury <laughs> to be nice to myself? I-, I think it's a privilege to operate within um, an existence where you can kind of just operate on like surface level mm-hmm. and um, not have to practice being conscious about like what's happening maybe around you and the systems and structures that maybe aren't set up to um, protect you or to serve you um, or were set up, you know, without you in mind whatsoever. Meaning you've got constant like things coming at you, microaggressions or maybe just absolutely major aggression coming at you. Absolutely. And just living within oppressive systems um, and just working through that on a daily basis. Tell me about the children. We've had many conversations here about the youth mental health crisis. In fact, next week, we're, we're doing two shows about student mental health, youth mental health, a crisis, uh, or I would just call it an emergency at this point. Um, what, what are you seeing with children and um, and, and teenagers and, and their relationships with their family members that is, is troubling or concerning or that you want to just share with us? Sure. I, I, I guess from what I've um, been seeing and, and working with uh, my coworkers at Peak Behavioral Health is young people are just having a really hard time right now. It's not enough that they are overexposed to social media and mm-hmm. being told how to live and what happiness looks like and how it feels. They're also trying to identify how to manage their own mental health um, while not having access to mental services or a trusted adult. And I think mm. with that comes a lot, you know, there's that lack of emotion regulation. I think the the adults in their lives are struggling to identify how to help them as well. And mm-hmm. I think it's just a systemic issue. Like households are suffering. They don't know what to do and they don't have the tools um, or maybe the um, access to resources to um support them mm-hmm. right now. And it's constant. It's it's one thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. So not having time to, to process and grieve and sure. heal before the next thing happens. Yeah. And then that's just their life. Like we're not talking about like the responsibilities. Young people still have responsibilities, school, maybe work, mm-hmm. um, taking care of siblings oftentimes. Or elderly family members. Elderly family members. Mm-hmm. We see that a lot. Um, struggling with their own mental health. And then just trying to just wake up and do the basic things in their everyday lives is a struggle. So where can a, a mental health professional, how can a mental health professional help? It, can it can a, someone like you help with communication skills to express it, to write it down, or or what would be helpful? Sure. I think some practical ways that mental health professionals are helping children right now are just being there, being present. Hmm. Having the space where you can say as a young person, I'm not happy. I don't like this. This made me sad. I'm upset with my adult. Having a space where you can say that where it's safe mm-hmm. is more significant than I think a lot of us are aware of. And then I think beyond that, having some practical tools that they can use to manage their mental health um, or to um, express themselves, right? Like I think just a lack of expression also leads to um, mental health symptoms too. And Kristen, as we talk about self-love, self-compassion, we also need to talk about self-talk again. So how can we help, um, not not just adults, how do we help children and teenagers have better internal conversations, better self-talk that will be helpful? Yes, well, luckily, we already have a model, which is good friendships. Most of us have developed in our life um, some sort of good friendship, close friendship, 
where we've learned how to be kind and supportive to others. You know, if a good friend comes to us and says, I've made this mistake or I'm feeling I'm struggling, most of us have learned, at least by a certain age, how to be warm, how to be present for someone, how to be supportive. And so a very, very simple thing you can do if you're struggling with something is say, what would I say to a very close friend who is struggling with the exact same thing I'm struggling? And usually we have a lot more wisdom and knowledge than we may realize that we have. So that that's one easy way to do it. Just model it on what we already know and have developed for others and then make a little U-turn and turn it inward. And so what if you, if, um, this, what if some damage has been done um, and, yes. and you need to repair, uh, do some repair or, or foster new relationships? Um, what happens when you don't do that or, or, or sort of take some corrective measures? Are you asking me? Anna? Yeah, I'm sorry, Kristen. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. So, uh, well, that's why that's why the fierce self compassion is so important. It's not just about acceptance; it's also about making change. And so, if a relationship is toxic or unhealthy, or and this this also absolutely applies to if you're in a system that's toxic or unhealthy that's oppressive, and a really important part of self compassion is saying no. This is not okay. You know, speaking up, um, making change, protesting, or or changing your relationship. So it's really about the whole picture. What's healthy for me, and that's not only internal but also external. And doing what we can um, to stand up for what's right and what's just and fair. Portia, I want to go back to social media. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this day, Valentine's Day, will be a day where a lot of feeds mm-hmm. are going to be full of, uh, you know the very joyous photos, uh, pictures mm-hmm. of, of flowers and gifts and celebrations. And that's great, right? Yeah. People should celebrate. Mm-hmm. But uh, just acknowledging for a lot of people that's painful, right? And maybe yeah. you shouldn't expose yourself to that today. Yeah, I, I think that's a really great idea. Uh, take a day off from social media, maybe a couple of days. Um, if you find that your witnessing of other people's joy might make you sad, and that's valid. It's it's okay to say, you know what, I'm not in a position right now to kind of be to kind of bear witness to other people's happiness. And that's okay. That's, and that's, that's not a that's selfish okay. thing. It's just it's, it's, it's not selfish. It's what it is, right? It's you know, part of it too. It's like, yeah, I want to be happy for people and it's okay to also protect myself too. And that's okay. I think um social media, you know, we talk about it being a highlight reel mm-hmm. and in many ways it is. Um, we want to share what's going well in our lives because there's so many other things that aren't going well. So I think right. if we just like manage our expectations of these things in real time, easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's easier than to, um, to manage those, those feelings too. Oh, 
Yes, as Lizzo says, if I'm shining, everybody gonna shine. Today, we're talking about self-love and how it impacts ourselves and all the people around us. My guests are Portia Peake-Gordon, a licensed marriage and family therapist and co-owner of Peak Behavioral Health in Little Canada, as well as Kristen Neff, who is a pioneer in the field of self-compassion research and the co-founder of the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. I want to take a moment, Kristen and Portia, to tell you uh, about my own journey uh, with self-love and compassion. I was just a mess in my 20s. I can just tell you that right now. <laughs> and Kristen, I'm 54 now, but uh, I often say I, I, I would never want to relove my, relive my 20s because I was not kind to myself. I didn't like myself. And there was a lot of comparison. And mm-hmm. do you find that with a lot of 20-year-olds, uh, Kristen, in your research? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, actually, most people. Uh, so self-esteem, which is basically a sense of self-worth, it can be unconditional, which is the healthiest form, but more often it's about being special and above average, right? Mm-hmm. If I said, Angela, your show is average, you'd probably feel hurt. And so there's this pressure to be better than others that's, that's created by our society. Um, and you really feel it in your younger years when you don't have a, a lot of things to go on other than maybe social media or what your what other kids think of you or people think of you. And so it can be very painful. And really, it is that that is the gift of maturity when you start knowing more what it means to be a human being. It doesn't mean getting it all right. Mm-hmm. It actually means getting it wrong and keeping going and, and loving yourself anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'm with you. I wish I had my <laughs> wisdom when I was a teenager, man. Uh, yeah. and, can, and can we connect the dots? So if you think about how you view yourself, how you love yourself, uh, the role that plays in the partners that you seek, both for romantic relationships and friendships, uh, there's a connection there, right, Kristen? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you don't value yourself, you're going to be more likely to, to pick a partner who doesn't value you because you think that that's somehow appropriate or, or what you deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, people might think self-compassion is selfish. What the data shows clearly is the more you love and accept yourself, the more resources, the more love and acceptance you have to give a partner. And people are more satisfied if their partners are self-compassionate. So it actually enhances interpersonal relationships because it's not my way or the highway, but it's also you aren't a doormat either. It's like mm-hmm. your needs are important. My needs are important. How are we going to come to some solution that's win-win for both of us? And so and, self-love helps others as well. And Portia, what's your take on um, what we often experience uh, in our 20s and 30s as we're kind of really coming to know ourselves in addition to love ourselves more and mm-hmm. how that connects into uh, the people we choose to be with and become close to? I think it depends on how it goes. I think it depends on um, those early relationships. They definitely inform our later relationships. Mm -hmm. If they were healthy, um, if we were healthy, as you were saying, I think um, the more secure we are, the more um, healthy we are, um, the more likely we are to find partners who show up in that same way to our similar way. Oh, you attract often what you put out. I think so. Like, I think naturally, if I'm someone who holds myself accountable, I'm going to be looking for someone who does the same thing. I'm going to be also holding my partner accountable. I'm going to be more assertive about what my needs are. I'm not going to assume that they... um, know what my needs are, I'm going to be more assertive with my boundaries as mm-hmm. well. Um, and I think it just, they all just interact. Mm-hmm. I have a vivid memory when I first moved to the Twin Cities. I lived in an apartment by myself in downtown Minneapolis. And the, the conversation I often had with myself is, you know, why am I not dating anyone? 
what is wrong with me? How come I'm not good enough? What is lacking mm. in me? Why don't? Why doesn't anyone want to be with me? Can Can you speak to that? Oh yes, that's something that I see often. I think of um, the younger um, people that I see. This sort of like I feel in, maybe not necessarily inferior, but I don't feel worthy. Um, mm-hmm. And I think um, what we're noticing is that maybe there's the online dating piece where they're not getting matches mm-hmm. or they're not putting themselves out there. Or well, this they... was in the 90s, so that was not an option. <laughs> <laughs> right. But so, so for now, let's, you know, the dating world now, um, if you're putting yourself out there and you're finding that people aren't reciprocating or aren't interested, I think that definitely has an impact on your self-esteem. And then it's going to, um, you know, impact how you kind of proceed. Right. In every way. And so, uh, Kristen, what are your thoughts about that for folks who are not in a relationship and really, 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 really want to be in one? And then how they then view themselves because there is this lack of this romantic partner. Yeah. So, you know, it's unfortunate, but often we invest our self-worth. We kind of give our power away to another person in a relationship. Mm. They may not be there or they may not be worthy of that trust. Actually, one thing you can do is you can, it's really, you could do it today if you want for Valentine's Day you could write down what is it that you really want to hear from a partner if you were to have that perfect romantic partner. You know, it might be, I love you. I'm here for you. I care about you. You're special. You're beautiful. You know, I'm, I'll ne- I won't abandon you. You can write down what you'd like to hear from the other. And then, this is the cool bit, you can say it to yourself. You can actually read what you've written and see if you can provide yourself the same security, love, support, kindness, care, that you're um, giving away to others. You, know, you don't have to give your power away. You can do a lot of this for yourself. Not, not you know, you can't do everything by yourself, but you can do a mm-hmm. lot more than you might think. So uh, I, I mentioned, um, you know, you teach mindful self-compassion, Kristen. Yes. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, can you give us uh, just some tools, some examples uh, of some tips, some things we can do uh, for this mindful self-compassion? Yes. So the reason we call it mindful self-compassion is, at least the way I've defined it, there's there's three components of self-compassion. The first is mindfulness. In other words, we need to be aware of our pain. If we if we don't look at it, mm. if we're, you know, shove it under the table, or we're, we're just lost in it, we don't have the perspective to say, hey, I'm hurting, I need a little help here, I need some support. And then we need to be kind, as we've been talking about, but also going back to what um, Portia said, common humanity. This is the difference between self-compassion and self-pity. Self-pity is poor as me. It's like we feel disconnected from others. Self-compassion is, hey, I'm a human being. We all suffer. We're all Mm -hmm. imperfect. And so one very easy thing you could do is write yourself a paragraph of mindfulness. Just just point out, this is this hurts. This is hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, write a paragraph reminding yourself that you aren't alone. This is part of the human experience. There's something wrong with me for feeling this way. All human beings feel this way at times. And then finally, some words of kindness and support, some, something you might say to a good friend. And there's research showing that if you do that every day for seven, day, for seven days, it reduces um, depression for three months and increases happiness for six months. Oh, say so that again. Powerful. S- say that again. So if, if you write yourself this self-compassion letter once a day for seven days you know, again so remember reminding you that it, this hurts it's normal it's a human to hurt mm-hmm. and i care about you basically in, in a nutshell it reduces depression for three months and increases happiness for six months so this is potent stuff again you know by intentionally turning toward ourselves with a kinder warmer more supportive mm-hmm. stance it really makes a big difference in our mental health 
All right. Uh, thank you. I, I loved hearing all of that, mm-hmm. that advice, some practical uh, steps to take. I know I've been asking uh, for our listeners to call in and share how they show so show themselves love. And I, I want to hear or play, take a moment to play uh, one of the voicemails that we received. Right now, let's listen to Becca. Hi. Um, I am just wondering um, how to love yourself when all you could think about was all the dumb things that you've done in the past and keep kicking yourself for those. Um, It's just pretty hard to love yourself when all you can think about is what you've done wrong in your life. Thank you. Okay, Becca, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, we did a whole show on forgiveness, how to Mm. forgive yourself Mm. and forgive others. So first I would say... Please listen to that uh, mm-hmm. show back on forgiveness. But Portia, what would you say to Becca? It's hard to love yourself when you're like, "Ooh, I, I, ooh, I did some things." <sighs> yes. Well, I just first of all want to tell you, Becca, you're not you're not alone at all. Um, I think we just need to acknowledge that we don't have to do things um, kind of separately. Like it's not a dichotomy. We can do things simultaneously. We can love ourselves and still uh, reflect on things that we wish you know, didn't happen. And that's, that is a part of the human experience. Regret is part of the human experience. You know, no matter mm-hmm. if we want to ignore it or not, it's true. It's valid. It's there. So what I would recommend is own it. Yes, it happened. And yeah, if you need to keep processing it, that's valid. Keep doing that and practice self-love and practical ways to do that. You know, for you, it's going to be different for everyone, but maybe for you, it's um, making yourself a meal, going for a walk, talking to a trusted friend, saying yes to that event that you wanted to say no to because you wanted to sit on the couch and watch Netflix. So these things can happen simultaneously. And I'm hoping that with time, you start to begin to feel like, okay, you know what? I've moved on from that. I can't go back and revisit or change the past. And Mm -hmm. here I am now. You've held yourself accountable long enough, Becca. Stop punishing yourself. Stop punishing yourself. Right, right. Absolutely. Kristen, what would you say to that uh, voicemail message uh, from Becca, uh, who's having a hard time forgiving uh, herself for past mistakes? Yeah, and also I, I do feel the pain, and it is so mm-hmm. human. I mean, I certainly have made things, made mistakes I regret. So you can really separate out your worth as a person from your behaviors. So just because you made a mistake doesn't mean you are a mistake. Mm-hmm. Right? So the, the self-love Ooh. is about the self-acceptance. You know, we are human beings worthy of compassion and care simply by virtue of being human. And the way we learn is from our mistakes. You don't have to earn the right to love and compassion. It's our birthright as human beings. And so actually what, what we know is that the more you accept yourself, the more able you are to take responsibility for your behaviors and to try to improve and change them. You know, so it's not a matter of like saying I'm great. When, when, you, when we've done something hurtful, we want to acknowledge that and we want to repair it. But again, you can love yourself even while you work to change your behaviors. And we just do the best we can day by day, you know. And just human beings trotting along day by day. <laughs> it feels good just to, to hear someone say that. So um, thank you both for responding to that message. I want to read a message on Twitter, too, because I asked for responses there. This is from uh, Dr. Artika Tyner here in the Twin Cities. And Dr. Tyner writes, Angela, my journey to self-love began with discovering my identity and purpose. This mm-hmm. happened during my first visit to Ghana. I show love to myself by connecting to my cultural roots and heritage. So uh, spending some time learning about where we 
came from and who we really are. I can relate to that very closely, uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Tyner, uh, having recently visited South Africa. Well, I want to let our listeners know that um, our conversation, uh, our time is up for this conversation today about self-love and self-compassion. But we had so many great guests <laughs> who we discovered to talk about this topic that we're working on another show about self-love and compassion for early March. So uh, we will continue this conversation. But right now, I want to thank our two guests today for all that you've shared with us. Portia Pete Gordon, a licensed marriage and family therapist and co-owner of Peak Behavioral Health here in the Twin Cities. And Kristen Neff, who joined us, uh, an associate professor of educational psychology at the University of Texas at Austin. Um, she is the co-founder of the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. Thank you, Portia. Thank you, Kristen. I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And happy Black History Month, too. Yes, thank you. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.